Let's pray. Almighty God, strengthen us as we look at your word and the joy that comes with knowing you and the good things you do. Help me to speak truly and clearly. Help us to listen by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I am um, I'm speaking about the Magnificat. And you might say, well, what is that? Because it kind of rhymes a bit. Well, I'll show you the Magnificat. It's Elbow, little Elvis. He's looking a bit undignified there, I know. In fact, he had a few words with me and said, Dad, don't put up that shot. That's embarrassing, but I had to. But just so that he has a bit more dignity, you can see what a Magnificat he truly is. We don't just have a Magnificat at our house. We also have a Magnifi-dog named Moogie. So you can see that this message gives me a great opportunity to indulge my pets with you. And... Um, but so is that the Magnificat, Elvis, Macando? No, 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 no. Those of you who are a little bit more cultured will know that the Magnificat is a Bach cantata, often sung at Christmas time and performed at Christmas time, but not always, because it's good music, and good music deserves to be listened to all through the year. In fact, it's not just Bach who wrote a Magnificat. Did you know that there is a Magnificat done by Thomas Tallis? Antonio Vivaldi, C.P.E. Bach, Bruckner, Ralph Vaughan Williams, Rachmaninoff, John Rotter and Arvo Parr. If you're a classical sort of a buff, you'll recognise most of those names. They've all done a Magnificat. So what is this Magnificat thing that makes it so important? Well, it's actually part of Christian worship, traditional Christian worship or liturgy. So if you went back to the Catholic or Lutheran Vespers, evening or afternoon prayers and worship, you would find the Magnificat as a standard item. If you went to Anglican Evensong, they sing the Magnificat, hence why so many things are put to music for the Magnificat. In the Eastern Orthodox churches, you'll have it in the Matins, which is, again, evening prayers, evening worship. They all have the Magnificat. But actually, what is this Magnificat that they all have? It's actually, in essence, the Song of Mary. From Luke chapter 1, Luke's account of the Christian story. It's called the Magnificat because the very ancient Bible, the Latin translation in the Roman world of the day, the Vulgate, it started with the word Mary's song, starts with the word Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul makes the Lord great, magnificat, hence the name of this song. It's the first of three songs in Luke's gospel from his account of the Christmas, what we call the Christmas events. And in church history, each one has been given a Latin name, and they're often used in formal worship. We start with the Magnificat, then you have the Benedictus, which we'll look at in two weeks' time, and then the Nunc Dimittas, which we'll look at appropriately after Christmas. Today, the Magnificat. It's just so. <clears throat> this series is Three Christmas Carols. We actually did this, for those of you who are around, way back in 2006. I thought, this is a clever idea. We'll do these three songs from Lewis, Three Christmas Carols Before Christmas. I only did one of those talks. And um, so I thought it would be good 
particularly because our church theme this year is to walk humbly with our God, and each one of these songs emphasizes humility. I thought it would be good to go back to them 12 years later, and um, I also wanted to wrestle with it because, you know, I'm a bit of a... My tendency at Christmas time... Exactly, I was at the shops yesterday. My tendency is to be a bit of a bar humbug. And just... The whole show just gets me frustrated. Other people's tendency is to embrace the whole show with gusto and to get almost caught up in the show. And if you like, forget the reasons for the season. So these carols, these Christmas songs are going to help, I hope, help for me, reorientate so that we stay the course of Christmas with joy and hope and humility. They're a perfect match to our church theme. Work, walk humbly with our God. Now, I want to ask then, why does Mary sing? You see, this story begins with fear. The angel Gabriel appears to this young girl, Mary, and she's terrified. Chapter 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There hasn't been a king in Israel for centuries. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary says, but I'm a virgin. I'm pledged to be married to this guy called Joseph. This, this, this can't be. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail, says the angel to Mary. We're not told any of the juicy bits. We're not given the soap opera. We do know that Joseph, who she's pleased to be married, wanted to put her away quietly. This is embarrassing. This is shameful. But I'll treat her well and I'll just get rid of her quietly. We don't know what her family thought. We don't know what the community thought. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I know what people thought in the 70s and 80s when a young teenage girl became pregnant. I don't know what they thought 2,000 years ago in Israel. Well, I can imagine, perhaps. It's shame. And how do you think Mary's feeling? She has had this incredible experience of an angel she believes it's true because, well, she misses a period and things start changing. And she met an angel. And all that wonder is mixed with 
the anxiety of being pregnant that's just plain natural and the anxiety of probably being an outcast and being told you're a liar and Joseph and that relationship and mum and dad and oh my goodness me, what madness. She's told that Elizabeth, her relative, is also pregnant. She travels all the way down to the hill country of Judea near Jerusalem from way up north and I wonder to myself maybe her family's glad because the shame is gone. We haven't told too many people. Joseph knows, but he's keeping it quiet. When she arrives with Elizabeth, there is no shame. There is no fear. There is glory and there is gladness. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God's at work. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the child you will bear. She says, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There is joyful, spirit-filled embrace. For Mary, there is recognition and there is freedom. And there is trust. And so Mary bursts into song. She really has something to sing about. And her song, this Magnificat, expresses what she knows to be true. And it tells us how she is feeling about these truths and the powerful realities that are being brought into being with the conception and the ultimate birth of this child, this wondrous God-given infant that is growing within her womb. See, after all of the trauma and the dislocation, this single young woman can hardly contain herself. What Gabriel has said will come to pass. She knows it's true and she expresses the fullness of her soul. And Mary said, my soul glorifies, my soul magnifies, my soul makes big the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. A holy is his name. As that hymn we sometimes sing, Tell Out My Soul. It's based on the Magnificat. The greatness of the Lord. Unnumbered Spirits give voices, give his spirit voice, tender to me the promise of his word. Tell out my soul the wonders of our God. Powers and dominions, he lays them by. Mary is full of gladness and goodness, for God has done great things, and she, well, she is highly favored. She is the mother of the Messiah, the Lord. The sovereign God is fulfilling his promises and his purposes even through her. How remarkable. 
Those of you who have been mums, what a great blessing to, to be a mother. Yeah? What a joy, what a privilege to be a mother. Each one of you was highly favoured that God should create new life within you. God had a good purpose in those children that you bore. Yet Mary will be the mother of the Son of the Most High God. She will be the agent of incarnation, God with us. This child that she hasn't seen yet, this Son of God will bear her features. We don't know what Mary looks like. We don't know what Jesus looked like. But I tell you this. There's a good chance Jesus had Mary's eyebrows. If not her eyebrows, her earlobes. Or her nose. You could look at Mary and you could look at Jesus and you could... Mother and son. Because half of the Lord Jesus' DNA came from Mary. The one who is fully God. Where half of the DNA came by the Holy Spirit, an act of creation, a miracle. You know, we talk about, I believe in the virgin birth and the Apostles' Creed. Because it's hard. And it's true. And Jesus is fully God and fully man. And I believe in the virgin birth. That the Lord Jesus Christ had half of the DNA of Mary and half of the DNA conceived by the Holy Spirit, the creation of God. And I believe that because we believe in an open universe. That there is a creator spirit, there is God And this world is not just some explosion that we think we can explain, but we really can't. And therefore, the random motion of atoms creating all of this. We believe in an open universe where there is activity above and beyond the material. And therefore, I believe in the virgin birth. And that Jesus was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. The creator stepped in and there was incarnation at the deepest level. And he chose Mary from way up north in Galilee. A humble girl who was highly favoured. And so you can partly understand why in Christian traditional history, why Mary has been so venerated. Because she was highly favoured to be the mother of our Lord, the mother of God. But you know, Mary was highly favoured, but you look at her attitude here, and there is no sense of beatification that I am someone glorious, that I am someone better or somebody special, other than by God's grace. There's no sense that any of us should ever worship Mary. That she would expect that because Mary's entire focus is not on herself but on overflowing praise to God for what he has done by his grace. Her passion is his glory. 
She says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There is no sinless perfection in Mary. She needs a Savior. Like we do. And she carries her Savior, the one who will save her from her sin. Her Lord within her womb. And she, the mother, and this can be hard, imagine this, she, the mother, must condescend to her son and call him Lord. And obey him when the time is right. And that's good because God has done great things for Mary. She is highly favoured. She has been called. She has been elected. God's grace has been poured out on her. And I guess this is the joy and the challenge. If you know Jesus, you've been called, you've been elected, and God's grace has been poured out on you. You are highly favoured. You have great cause for praise. You've been given a miracle, new birth. Spiritual birth. You can sing the Magnificat. And Mary's joy, as she is aware of her privileged position, her joy is only because she's even more aware of what God has promised his people and her place in that. See, what's happening in her life is so, so much bigger than just becoming a mother. Verse 50. The Lord's, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. God is being merciful to his people who fear him. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Her son will be the promised saviour of Israel. When they were, in a sense, formed as a people, God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I am going to bless all the world through your descendants will be as num- great a number as the stars in the sky. And the prophets kept speaking about one who would come to rule and be king over this people Israel. And so Mary is growing up with this expectation and this knowledge that one day a Messiah, a king, is coming who will reign forever. And then the angel says, Mary, you're going to give birth to that Messiah who will save his people from their sins. And indeed, through you, Mary, through your child, all people on earth will be blessed. For he will save us from this cursed world that we live in, this world that's under the judgment of sin. He will redeem and he will restore and he will bring justice and truth In righteousness, he will establish God's kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. 
And God will be merciful. He will not treat us as our sins deserve because of your Son. So we need to fear your Son and submit to Him. And so Mary sings, you know, now is the time. God's fulfilling what He promised through me. I am the mother of the kingdom come. Oh, people rejoice at this day. It's not just the people of God that Mary has in mind in her song. The descendants of Abraham by faith who fear him, Mary's singing about the impact this child will have on the whole world. Because he will be a righteous king who will right wrongs, who will execute justice. He will reverse this perverted world's priorities and power structures. (coughs) He will bring peace over the world. She goes and says, verse 51, He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty see as Mary sings about salvation she can't help but sing about justice and as she sings about justice so she sings about the prospect of judgment on those who will not fear this king the child that she bears and the humble the lowly they're going to be exalted. The proud board, those who are hungry, physically hungry to a magic, that also that leads to spiritual hunger that I need God to step in. The hungry will be filled, whereas the arrogant and the rich and the satisfied will be cast down. And this is good news in a world where it seems that the arrogant and the proud and the wealthy always prosper. And they do that at the expense of the humble and the lowly. There's going to be a reversal. This will be no more. There will be peace on earth and goodwill to all men with this child. See, a day is dawning with Jesus. In fact, Mary may well have sung, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Oh, and the whole of heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. The Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow grow. Don't let thorns infest the ground. Don't let the arrogant rule and crush. No more let sin and sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as that curse is found. She may well have sung joy to the world. The Lord is come in me. So can you see that when we celebrate Christmas, we should be celebrating our desire for justice and hope and peace and equity. Christmas is a call to humility, to go to our church theme. It's to walk humbly with our God. And we have a tendency with our 
bent God-rebelling hearts to distort everything. Let's have a celebration of the birth of the Jesus. Let's have a celebration of humility and generosity and peace and love and relationship. Let's do that. And while we're at it, let's make this celebration a celebration of bigger is better. How about I decorate our house so that people can see we're really festive? This is a good day. Actually, what if I put a bigger reindeer than next door's? And what if I put even more on the roof and more on the roof and it's actually just a show to, say, show, show to the world to say how great I am, how great I am. What if I buy a gift for somebody to show how much I love and respect them? I'd be generous. Well, actually, what gift do I really need to get to them? And whether, how will they, are they going to like my gift? And I, I sweat and I stress. Is it enough? Have I spent enough? Can I get away with a $15 gift for them? How much is too much? What if we have a meal where we just enjoy family and company? Well, we better have a ham, we better have turkey, we better have prawns, we better have mangoes, better have cherries, better have, better have, better have, better have, gotta have a pudding, gotta have custard, gotta have, gotta, gotta have, gotta, gotta have. And it becomes this massive burden where we show the family that we've got it in control. In fact, some people are so concerned about this because they don't have much money, they set up a plan which they start putting money into and some company makes money out of them in February so that when Christmas comes, they get it all sent to them and they don't look like they're poor people anymore because we're having a big lunch, just like everybody else that we've been paying for and someone's been making money out of all year. What do we do with Christmas? We need Boxing Day to recover from our celebration of excess, which should be a celebration of humility. We worry about gifts and the hamper and family members. Oh, family members. I've got to see Uncle Staff this week. Gravy and prawns. Where am I going to get the prawns? It's two days before Christmas. I haven't bought the prawns yet. They say they're sold out. No rest. For the wicked at Christmas time. What if this year you had a Magnificat Christmas? What if you had today where you humbled yourself before God? Where you stripped everything away but your joy in God your Saviour? What if you had a day of worship and praise? My soul is just bursting, exalting God my Saviour. What if you came to church on Christmas Day? I've never been a big one for church on Christmas Day until I became a pastor, then I had to uh, be at church on Christmas Day. Um, but what if you came to church on Christmas Day, not out of religious duty, but to praise God and to rejoice in the goodness and glory of him sending a saviour to you? And what if, in our expression of generosity, we give to Baptist World Aid, tax deductible, to give to people in Nepal or elsewhere? What if we did that for the sake of justice so that the humble and lowly might be lifted up while we are brought down a little bit? What if we overflowed with generosity for justice on Christmas Day? What if we had a deeper joy in us on Christmas Day, a less anxious joy, a joy that bursts forth like that of Mary? 
Why do we celebrate? Well, here's two verses, sort of theme verses we've had this year. Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you at Christmas? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. What about this on Christmas Day? Philippians 2, 3 and 4, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything at Christmas time, for Christmas. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What if rather in humility you valued others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others? What if we had a Magnificat Christmas? Ultimately, Mary's song and our Christmas hope is based on what God is like. She's singing the truth. You see, God is holy. He's set apart. He's above And beyond, verse 49, the Mighty One has done great things. Holy is His name. And He is sovereign with power. He rules over all. My soul glorifies the Lord, she says. The Mighty One has done great things for me. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He is sovereign and He is faithful and trustworthy. He keeps His promises. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God is faithful and trustworthy. He is merciful because he's promised to be merciful. He does not treat his people as their sins deserve. He saves them. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of me. And in his salvation he will be righteous and he will be just. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is just. He is the saving God. That is something to sing about. My soul can't help it. It bursts because of the child that Mary carries in her womb. What child is this? What child is this in Mary, Mary's womb now growing? Cell by cell. DNA division by DNA division. Heartbeat after heartbeat. Fingernail next to fingernail. What child is this? As the hymn says, this, this is Christ the King, the Messiah, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This is Christ, this King, this babe, this son of Mary. And so I finish by challenging, I say this is really a challenge, every Christmas it's a challenge to myself, in the run-up to Christmas. Do I share in Mary's overflowing joy? She with everything to be anxious about. She with the weight and stress of the world on her shoulders as a young girl. Do I share her joy and hope and heart for praise? Do I believe, in a sense, in the reversal of the curse in Jesus' name? 
Do I believe that he is bringing justice and he's calling me to justice? Do I believe in the hope of eternity and kingdom come in him? Do I believe in my own personal hope and salvation? Do I let it bring praise and joy out of me? And this year, will I humble myself? And the challenge, will you humble yourself? Will we walk humbly with our God so that we indeed have the most blessed and glorious Christmas yet? Let me pray. Father God, be gracious to us and do humble us that we may rejoice at Christmas time. We pray in the name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen.